0: Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, President of Wilsey Asset Management. Uh, here today, talk about a lot of different things on the Smart Investing Show. Uh, we're going to cover some important topics today. Uh, short-term rentals on the real estate side. Why not talk about that? Also talk about uh, young investors and big changes there. That's going to take out maybe $100 billion from the market. We'll discuss that. And then, well, this is the big weekend, Super Bowl weekend. We'll talk about Super Bowl betting Is it better than stocks? Uh, Chase, what do you think?
1: Well, I guess it depends if you win. (laughs) True. (laughs) Uh, Also, too, if you do want to join the show, again, phone number here, 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. you got a stock you're thinking about buying, perhaps, maybe selling. We'll break down those fundamentals and, and give you our opinion on what that stock looks like.
0: And, uh, you know, kind of start off our our topics here, uh, talk about real estate, and we've been talking about real estate for a while, and we, you know, there's certain real estate we think is good, certain real estate that we don't believe is good, because it's just, when you look at a a graph, it just, like, it goes out about, you know, kind of bumps along normal way, ups a little bit, and then, like, what is it, 2021, it just took, like, a major spike up dramatically, Uh, the returns were unbelievable compared to the past, and, And that's just not sustainable. So we try to let people know what's going on. And we've got another reason that we're kind of concerned on real estate, and it's about short-term rentals. Uh, We have talked a a lot about the affordability problems when buying a new home. But one area we haven't discussed as much is the real estate investor. The short-term rental craze, I believe, created new investors who thought it would be easy to make money in real estate looking at the numbers in 2021 investors made up 24 percent of single family homes and in the first half of 2022 that number was still around 22 percent now this compares the range of 15 to 16 percent annually going back to 2012 just 10 years now unfortunately things have started to change in the short-term rental market according to wall street journal one investor in encinitas was able to rent her two-bedroom condo $1,000 per night on a holiday weekend, but she has had to drop her rate to, wow, $275 per night due to lagging demand.
1: <laughs> the the problem is not the demand but it actually comes as well from the oversupply I mean that that's a major issue there when you look at it in fact night stayed were actually up 21.3% in the month of October when compared to the previous October so again you're still seeing Airbnb the VRBO those short-term rentals people are still interested in going to them but the big issue is, Listing surged 23.3% during the same time frame, and there were 66,000 new rental properties listed in the month of October alone. I mean, that's a huge number. That's Again, huge, it's a, yeah. a factor of supply and demand is what it comes down to. And the thing I look at is with rising interest rates and lower rental rates, it becomes a whole lot harder to justify an investment in these properties, and some prior investors could become at risk of not being able to keep up with the cash flow required to maintain the house. I believe this will lead to less demand in the housing market and a potential source of supply if investors need to sell underperforming properties. These factors could help bring down home prices even more.
0: And, and unfortunately, many people, when they invest in, in stocks and real estate, they look in the rearview mirror. Oh, well, it's done this, it's done that, so I want to get in now. And they, they, their emotions drive their decision. What we try to do is break down not what's happened in the past, well, we look at the past to say it's not gonna happen in the future. And when you have you know, more people trying to get into these, and again, it's not a demand factor, the demand is there, but the supply is re- really large now. What I'm thinking, what if in 2024, uh, demand slows down when people say, "Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna travel as much as year. I've done a lot of travel in the last two years. And also too, we, we didn't look at this, but what about the hotels? Are they building new units as yeah. well? Because they're all competing for that same traveler. So that can be a problem.
1: And the, the issue I look <clears throat> at in the short-term rental area is I think there's going to be successful short-term rentals, oh, yeah. but you have to make it a unique experience. And I think a lot of these investors just thought, oh, wow, I can just buy a house and then the short-term rental rates will cover my mortgage, my insurance, my pro And it was for a little bit. And perhaps I've, I've heard people that were cash flow positive on them. Even after all those expenses, you're like, wow, I'm making money and I'm paying off my mortgage at the same time. This is great. Problem is- now, that may not be the case. Those people that were cash flow positive may be cash flow negative. So all of a sudden now you're sitting there with this this real estate, and you're like, do I keep sinking money into it, or do I just eat it, get my money back out of it, and say I, I'm out of this short-term rental market? Or perhaps you look at converting it to a long-term rental, but then your cash flow still will take a hit. So there's so many different factors that I think people are going to have to consider right. when actually looking at maintaining these properties. I think it's I think it's a big factor that people... Aren't necessarily talking about as much,
0: and, and actually, people do have short-term, you know, uh, foresight because when you look back at two thousand eight, I mean, everybody knew that real estate was going to go back up, but people just walking away from their homes, like ah, I'm not going to pay this any longer. I mean, we all knew that, yeah, probably five years, yeah. it's going to come back, but people had that attitude. Well, I'm putting money this every month and I don't make anything. I'm just going to walk away. I'll just or I'll just sell at a loss, whatever. And and it's just something that we we worry about too. <clears throat> that people maybe got over-leveraged with it as well. Yep. So did they wake up make a smart move by by buying that property? And again, property can do well for you, but you got to get a good price. You can't be over-leveraged.
1: And the other thing you look at, too, is just the cash flow. I was saying yeah. maybe you went from being cash flow positive and now you're having to pour cash flow into it. Well, what if you can't afford that cash flow yeah. into the property? Yeah. That's, again, where there's an issue that ensues. So, I mean, I, I just look at it as an area of – really no strength i don't think it's going to be as profitable as it was because there is more on the market plus the rising interest rates now that means mortgages are more expensive so then your cash flow for new investors is not going to be as good so that's not going to necessarily incite demand as it did the prior couple years because people are like oh wow i heard my friend bill he could actually go buy a house and you know he's making all this money on airbnb now is that the case anymore I, i i don't believe so so that's a huge problem on the demand side, and also, too, outside the short-term rental market. I was actually driving over here thinking, as I knew we were talking about this this morning, was the flipping market. I can't imagine the flippers market <laughs> is doing very well right now. And I know yeah. there's some, I'm going to say, more seasoned and... Um, well-established flippers that know actually what they're doing right but again you could buy a house back in 2021 and think you're adding all this value to it when in reality you could have done nothing and the house was going to go up anyway and and that's what i was going to
0: say flippers. oh i've done all this making all this money flipping houses and so forth well yeah i may have done the same thing i just held on to it and my thing is unless you're putting something into that house now if you get a house that's kind of run down a little bit, you put some sweat equity into it, you make it better, you you, you increase the value uh, of that home, well then you're a smart flipper. But just to buy a house and then turn around try to sell at a higher price, you probably could have done better just holding. Like people that trade stocks, same thing.
1: Oh yeah, I'm making all this money trading stocks.
0: <laughs> Many times you would done far better just buying a good quality business and holding on to it for that for that time frame. Yeah, and
1: I, I just I think that is something that happened in the real estate market is I think people got overconfident, over cocky, and that brought in a whole new type of investor over the last couple of years. And they thought they were providing value, and in reality, as I said, you didn't really have to do anything. Real estate was just going up, and those are going to be the people, unfortunately, that are going to get burned here. I think over the next few years, as they think they know what they're doing and in reality they don't they were just a beneficiary of the strong real estate market and now all of a sudden the real estate market's not as strong i think you're going to see the investor portion of the real estate market start to decline as well
0: and and we're going to talk about young investors in a minute but the other thing too is that young investors that got into the real estate market oh i'm going to get the you know a couple b and b's i'm going to do great and so forth i believe some of them also like wow I'm a real estate, you know, mogul now. I'm I'm so great. I'm, I'm going to go out and buy a new Mercedes and I'll buy a new Porsche. So now not only do they have the drop in the cash flow and the income, now they've added a new payment for a car that is probably worth less than they bought as well. So it kind of stacks on itself and it creates that 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 problem. Um, so well, let's actually talk about the young investors because across the nation uh, who experienced big losses in investing are now pulling away from investing in stocks. Goldman Sachs estimates households will pull as much as 100 billion in 2023 from the stock market. Now, this will hurt companies like Robinhood, who encouraged young traders to a lot of trading. Back in March 2021, Robinhood had as many as four million trades per day. That's four million per day. Uh, that has now fallen to about. 1.2 million trades per day. I personally think this is a good thing. Many young investors just thought they could buy anything and it would go
1: up. And, and then they also started using leverage and options, which magnify the risk, and that ultimately cost them even more. I've said for years, if you've averaged around 10% on your money over a 7-10 to 10 year period, you're doing pretty good. Unfortunately, some younger investors laughed at that, and now they have nothing left. And worse than that, they won't come back to investing for many years, missing out on some good growth over the years to come. Investing <laughs> takes a lot of work, and it's not something that can be done quickly by trading stocks. There are very few people who can invest over the long term as their impatience and lack of discipline cost them good results. Yeah, this is just something that you, you think you know something. And I've said
0: it could last you know, a month, could last six months, could last six years. But you don't know anything, you, and you said, "Well, the real estate market—you're at the right place, at the right time. It's nothing that you really added to it. You weren't—you I, I just weren't smart about what you were doing. Just you were lucky. And then when that luck runs out of the market changes, you don't have any idea what's going on. And—and and where we got this from was the Wall Street Journal." And uh, there was a gentleman that I, he had made like up to $1.5 million. like 25 years old. He thought he knew everything. He'd go into the casino and he'd buy like what he drinks. And he, he'd spend like $30,000 on, on betting on football games. He thought he was set for life. Well, now, today, he works in a deli in Las Vegas because he lost everything by gambling. And when you're doing the options and the trading and, and all this other stuff, margin, you're gambling. You're not investing.
1: Well, and, and, again, this is the big mistake that people make is you can do very well for, let's say, a two, three, four, five year period even. But if you don't know why you did well. Right. And you think you're you're, you know, hot stuff and you know exactly what you're doing, but you don't really actually understand the philosophy or again why you did well, you don't realize that a ninety percent loss very realistic. That can happen to you yeah. in high-risk things. So let's just say, wow, you've built up again like this gentleman here. you built up a million-dollar portfolio over a few-year period because you got lucky on some great trades there. You maybe bought GameStop or you maybe bought the AMCs, and maybe you did sell out at the right the time. The meme stocks. Yeah. yeah, that's probably what he was doing. Yeah. And, and then what happens is all of a sudden you buy the next thing. Maybe you buy into a Bed, Bath & Beyond, let's say, as you're trying to get into that next meme stock, but you buy too high. Or you buy back into the AMCs. And then that stock falls 90%. Well, your million dollars is now, let's say, $100,000. Right. You've wiped that out. But the big problem is you've completely changed your lifestyle because you thought you were worth a million dollars. Right. Now you're not. Right. Now what do you do? And that's the big problem that people run into, and that's why the consistency, and again, why we do the value investing, and it makes so much sense, is that compounding growth in the long term is so beneficial because you're not taking those highly leveraged risks that can completely wipe you out. Yeah, and you just have to be
0: smart about what you're doing, and and unfortunately, and, and this will happen over and over again because young people they don't have the experience. So I always talk about the wisdom, you know, you gotta have the wisdom, and that comes over time. Uh, in in my beginning years, and and actually, I really started looking at stocks. So I was like in the seventh grade, uh, didn't know crap about anything, but it's just like, but that's when I start, um, and I made some mistakes, uh, when I start started investing because I didn't know what I was doing. So you have to learn. The problem is with the young investors of today. They got, they got really lucky during the the meme stocks and, and the COVID and so forth and didn't realize that that
1: was a, just an anomaly.
0: It's not going to happen again for years to come.
1: So and, and the the other big issue I look at is, again, that overconfidence that starts to kick in. Maybe you start trading stocks with $1,000 mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, you get lucky on one trade. Like, I know what I'm doing. Your next one, I got $10,000. Yeah, I know what I'm doing. Right. Get lucky again, let's say third time. Let's just say now you've built up a nice portfolio. You've got $100,000. Yeah, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. And, and the problem is you start to build this overconfidence like this gentleman that was pointing on the Wall Street Journal with a million dollar portfolio. It's like, I know exactly what I'm doing. And it was just craziness that mm-hmm. kind of built this house of cards and completely wiped him out. And, and that's the big issue of investing is things can change much quicker than people realize. The meme stocks, they're a fad. Right. There's going to be other things. We've talked about 3D printers. We've talked about pot stocks. I saw the the canopy growth go across the ticker screen the yeah. other day, and I think it was like $2 a share or something. It's <laughs> not a high up. Do you remember? Like, I think that one wasn't as bad, but it was still like <coughs> $40, $50 a share, That's, I remember. Well, from $40. To, yeah, 40 but I, two I, I, think like, t- I think Tilray was like in the hundreds or 200s. Really? That one was really bad. Yeah. So, I mean, I say you, you've lost get a lot of money, more than 90% of it with that type of decline
0: and and, you know we we talk a lot in the office and so forth uh, and we were just talking the other day about how value investing will never go out of favor because it just is common sense you have a company earning you know a million dollars a year and it's trading for these numbers aren't gonna match up at all ten thousand dollars well if it drops down to five thousand dollars and now it's still earning the same million dollars or maybe even 800,000 that's a value there. You're getting earnings, and you got to check, and that's what we do here. We, we check for people when they call in, which I'll give the numbers in a minute, uh, to check to see, am I getting this business on sale? So that's what we're looking for. And as long as you have earnings and cash flow and sales and uh, all these things, you can find something on sale, but to try to predict what's going to happen down the road, like, oh, they're going to have this here, and it's going to make all this money, yeah, that is so hard to do, and it is more of gambling. I think you might have the better chance of, Well, maybe not the lottery, but it's just very hard because you can't see what that company's going to do for marketing. You can't see what's going to happen with their cash flow. You can't see competition coming in. Maybe the product causes cancer. I mean, all these different things that you can have happen where when you buy, we'll just say a food company that is down 20, 30 percent, it's like, wow, those earnings will come back and it's got a strong balance sheet. That makes sense. And that will never go out of favor. You're never going to make, well, and actually in 2021, yeah, 2021, we, we actually did very well because of COVID. It was a 20? 20, yeah, 20. 2021, we did twenty twenty one. Yeah, we did, did extremely well. But it's not like, oh, wow, we're really smart. It's we did
1: like, 70% <laughs> this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and, and we didn't do we said 70%. No, we we're did not do not, that. Right, do we're not telling you what we did. We did, yeah. we did extremely well, well above market averages. But it's just like we knew that was a one-time thing. It's not like, wow, we are so smart. We're going to do this every year. We'll be billionaires by 2025.
1: By know. Oh, like Kathy Wood's? annualized growth expectation of 40 percent per year <laughs> yeah yeah you know and I
0: think uh, Warren Buffett's famous for long-term uh, I think earning over 20% yeah so and yeah to say and uh, say 40% that, that's just hype That's, that's what that and
1: is. you know I was reading about Warren Buffett the other day and it's actually all he really is is a, a big insurance company and then he's taken those insurance premiums and then invested them properly yeah I mean it's one reason we love insurance companies is because of the cash flow that's generated from those premiums, and they have the risk analysis to make sure they're not getting themselves in a sticky situation. All of a sudden, they start to lose money. Well, guess what? They raise the premiums. It's a very, I'm going to say, it's a complicated (coughs) business, but it's very simple to understand the business model of it, which is what we love. And then that's kind of, I think, what Buffett saw years ago with a company like Geico, let's say. And now he's got those insurance premiums, and that rolls into his investment portfolio where they now invest those premiums into... You know, those stock picks, the, you know, I know he's famous for the Coca-Colas right. and the, the the banks and so forth that he's done very well on. It's a, it, it's an interesting model.
0: And he also likes the cash flow of the dividends. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't reinvest the dividends into that company. He uses those dividends to buy other companies and keep investing that money. So he likes the premiums. He likes the cash flow from the dividends. And it just it, it works out long term. And it takes a while to to do that. And, and when people come over and invest with us, we say, you know, you should be investing for at least— three to five years. Yeah. And if you're looking for a two-year time frame, uh, we're not too excited about this. I
1: mean, if you're going to need the money within two years, like I, I'm not a big advocate of you know, the two-year treasury or the six-month, but I mean, if you need the money short-term, lo- those rates aren't bad. No. I, I would never invest long-term money into them. Right. But uh, <clears throat> I think if you are maybe looking at buying a house in a year. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's different things you can do perhaps with opening like a credit line against the account and S block or something, but that takes a lot more, I, I think- complexity and understanding of it right. if you're if you just have a compound kind of, of money and you're like yeah I want to buy a house in a year yeah I mean it makes sense to to, to you do that one-year treasury let's say that one-year T bill but um, you know I think people just get too cute with things sometimes right
0: and you should never go into a one-year treasury just because your emotions you're afraid <laughs> of the market never do that never no. do that a long-term investor look at some good things on sale Let, let's go with the phone numbers here uh, you want to call in for that unbiased no strings attached fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about phone numbers 833. 833- 288 0973. Again, that's 833 288 0973. Well, let's let's move on because uh, this is Super Bowl weekend and America's excited about Super Bowl betting this year. A record 50.4 million Americans are expected to wager bets on the big game this Sunday. This is a massive 61% increase from last year's record of 31 million Americans that said they would place a bet. In terms of the dollar amount this year, it is anticipated there'll be $16 billion worth of bets on the game, which is also more than double last year's
1: $7.6 billion. And then from a financial standpoint, of course gotta relate it back to that. I, I must say this is a positive for the economy as consumers clearly have enough confidence right. and comfort <laughs> in their financial situation to place those bets. You know, personally I won't be partaking in any bets this year. I, I highly doubt you will. I well. will not. No. Most of the time, I do the squares. I haven't won the squares in years, but I I, I don't even think. Um, I'm just having a couple friends over for the game. I don't think we'll have enough people to do the squares.
0: I'm usually the guy that does the squares because you know it's getting close and there's empty squares and nobody wants to play more into it. Like okay, I'll fill it up so we got the thing going here for you. But I, I you know, I do it because I have to do it to keep the party going.
1: But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I said, I don't even think I'm gonna do that this year. But the other thing too that we want to point out is one thing that we'll be missing from this year's Super Bowl is those crypto commercials, (laughs) especially from FTX. I don't think that you'll be seeing any from Sam Bankman. I've been calling him Sam Bankman fraud. Fraud, (laughs) yes. He he won't be making any appearances this year. No,
0: no, 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 Tom Brady (laughs) promoting FTX, which he did. They they ran that commercial, and oh, my gosh. It's like, oh, yeah, this is very safe. Oh, this is good.
1: (laughs) like <laughs> oh, it's terrible. That's, that's rough. Yeah, yeah, very very rough. So and, and another one too that uh, they pointed out that was in Super Bowl last year, Carvana.
0: Oh yeah, Carvana. Carvana yeah. from three hundred to three. Yep. <laughs> I think it's rough. not quite that
1: bad, but yeah. yeah, it's not good. I'll tell you not that good at all. Yeah. Uh, as for my pick for the game, I'm going to go with the Philadelphia Eagles there. I, I think a lot of people agree with you on that. I saw the <clears> odds right now. Are actually, it's it's supposed to be a pretty good game. They're split pretty evenly. Yeah. So, about, I think it's always based, I don't know how they get these numbers sometimes. So, when I was reading the article with a lot of the, the numbers there, uh, it said it was like 44% and 44%. Wow. And I was like, yeah. And I, I don't know. There must be a margin of error or something on it. I'm right. like, that doesn't add up to 100%.
0: Right. <laughs> so. in, in my knowledge of football, I think I heard that the Eagles have a very strong secondary.
1: Uh, they, they have a very good defense, they have yeah. a very good pass rush. Uh, could challenge Mahomes. Mahomes had, uh, has a bum ankle. Uh, I like to see oh. just kind of Jalen Hurts, who's the quarterback of the Eagles. He's got a cool story. I always kind of like to look for that. Mahomes already won one. He was a first round pick. He's been in like the conference championship, the Super Bowl several times. Jalen Hurts, he was the Alabama quarterback and he got benched, transferred to Oklahoma, kind of made a comeback, was a second round pick. So I, I, I kind of like his story. I, I think. Um I'm, I'm going to go with the Eagles, here. I think that's yeah. a it's got a better story to me. Yeah. And being a ex-Chargers fan, you just always didn't like the Chiefs.
0: Yeah, it, it's true. Yeah, the Chiefs are always kind of like uh the rivalry so to speak. Like, oh, we don't like the Chiefs, so it's hard to kind of go with them and but uh, and the Eagles, I grew up. I remember when I was a young kid playing football,
1: always wore a Eagles helmet, you know, the
0: Backyard yeah. football. I wore the Eagles helmet. <laughs>
1: so, I remember I used to love when they had like Donovan McNabb and uh, Todd Pinkston was a receiver and Terrell Owens was on the team uh, years ago, and uh, so I, I kind of got that affinity for the Eagles. So I'm not saying I'm a big Eagles fan. I'm not jumping on the ba- bandwagon by, by any means, but that's my pick for the game, I guess.
0: <laughs> well, that's enough uh, sports talk for us. I mean, we're not the sports commentators here. We we look at the, the numbers side, but uh, if you want to you know the, the newsletter, because the newsletter has those topics in it, uh, we. Do Do this every Friday. It's been very popular. We also talk in the newsletter that uh, went out on Friday: the Eurozone, the unemployment rate, AI, and home prices. We also talk about auto insurance. What's going on with that? Uh, Movie theater post-COVID, daycare, many different things that make you a smarter investor. It is a free newsletter. Uh, What you need to go go to our website: smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. Right in the middle of the page, you'll see two things: you'll see podcast and newsletter. Click on the newsletter side. Sign up for it; it's free. Come out; it'll be in your uh, email box every Friday about five o'clock. I think it goes out. A lot of great topics. People love it. Uh, it it's grown pretty good. Uh, people really like it because it's and you can pull out different topics. Like, uh, oh, I don't care about the eurozone. Yeah, don't read that one. Read about the unemployment rate. You know, read read different things that make you uh, what you want to know about.
1: Them. Yeah, so, and, and it, again, it's just. It, it's, I'm going to say, more optimistic than a lot of uh, news out there. Yeah. And it kind of just brings out the facts rather than the emotional pool that a lot of the news tries to provide. So it, it's, I think, a, a just very informative, very useful newsletter there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, too, because we, we do use that as a tease here on the show, we generally do three or four different topics for you. Uh, you might say, well, what were they talking about that, that, uh, uh, the first one was on the, uh, on the, the rental market and so, so forth. Well, you, you might want to go over that again because there it is. So, again, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. Just click on the newsletter side, sign up for free. Also, too, there's a contact thing on the far right. If you want to have questions, you don't want to call in, you can send us an email. Uh, Just contact us and say, hey, I want to know about such and such, or I have this question. Uh, We'll read it on the air, you know, time allowing. Uh, we got a couple here today that are going to do phone numbers here. All lines are still open, 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. Well, this actually came in uh, last week on a newsletter from uh, Jim he says uh, jim from alpine here my saturday mornings are full of other things these days so unfortunately will not be able to go live with the wham crew can you please look at cfg i own it about three percent of the portfolio portfolio and wondering about the future of what given what i paid for it 27 is returning a rather nice dividend now thinking of buying more just wondering about uh, about it, forward viability. Uh, many thanks, Jim. So, so let's take a look at that there and, and see what we can come up with. And and the symbol again. I got to put this in here. Is uh, where is it? CFG is a symbol. Uh, let's see what we got. Uh, Citizens Financial Group. So I'm I'm going to say uh, you probably pulled up already, Chase. Probably a bank. I'd assume so yeah it's a regional bank regional bank yeah so and you know and we we do like the bigger money center banks and so forth but there's some viability with these small regional banks so so let's say if uh citizens Financial Group is one of those they are in the regional bank uh, industry their float is only 3.4 percent 92 percent institutional owned uh, we do see they have a PE ratio of 10.5 uh just slightly higher than the industry at 10.1. Price to sales, 2.6 versus 2.2. Price to book value, 1.6, that's good. That's half the industry at 3.4. And price of cash looks good as well, 5.5 versus 10.6. Now the analysts don't seem to like this too much because the peg ratio, the PE divided by the growth going forward is 10.3. That is higher than the industry at 8.9. You actually want that lower, not higher. So not expecting, actually probably paying a little bit, maybe too much for the future growth of this company. We do see over the last year, earnings did fall by 22.3%. That was more than the industry, a fall of 6.5%. However, sales did climb by 13.4%. Uh, the industry did drop by 1.8%. Uh, the five-year estimated growth rate from the analyst that is not quite as good as the industry. It's 09 for the company. 3.9 for the industry. Uh, we do see they pay a dividend of 3.9%. That's very respectable. I like that number. Uh, payout ratio 40%. So that that's that's in line. That's very good. I do see over the last five years they've increased that dividend 13.8%. And then look at the balance sheet. It's a financial company, so there's no current ratio. But we do see a debt-to-equity of 0.7 versus 1.1. That's a positive. Net profit margin, 25.9 versus 25.6. That's very good. Return to equity is a little bit low, 7.9 versus 10.8. Chase, what do you got?
1: Yeah, so looking at the business here is actually again a retail bank. Uh, they operate mainly in New England, the Mid-Atlantic, and the Midwest regions of the United States. So one thing about these regional banks is obviously you want to understand the region, how how the business is doing there. Uh, you know, example is we have like a real estate a REIT in our portfolio where it's kind of more concentrated in the Sun Belt and kind of the South. And I continue to believe that the economy there is going to remain strong. I still sometimes kind of worry about the West. We know that a lot of people have kind of been leaving California. They've yeah. been leaving New York. So I, I'd want to see a little bit more of the economy strength when I, investing in these regional banks. It's something, I guess, one step further you got to take when you invest in the the full kind of concentrated bank rather than a diversified bank across the country. One other thing, looking at the current price here for, again, Citizens Financial Group, it's $43.12. The 52-week high is $55.99, and the low is $32.65. Going forward for the company, I go to December 2024. I do see estimated earnings per share of $5.26. Would give us a target sell price of $87.32. I mean, the valuations on this company are, are still right. very, very strong. One other point I, I do want to bring up is I think their earnings took a hit probably because of the loan loss reserves. They had issues there. And then also, too, I was reading the other day about the Fed stress test. This is something that the big banks have to go through. I honestly do not know, because we haven't owned a regional bank in years, if the regional banks have to go through the stress test. I believe they do. I
0: think they do. I Yeah. yeah. I mean, if we were to invest in one, we would definitely know that
1: question. Which, if you do own it, you want to know that question. Yeah, because I, I know that question. I know this year's Fed stress test is more stringent than in prior years as well, and it. I think it's things like the stock market falls 40%. The real estate market on the commercial side mm-hmm. falls 40%. GDP falls by like 8%. I, I mean, and again, these are just numbers off the top of my head. Uh, they may be a little bit different, but they're very dire situations to make sure banks can get through that. The problem with that is it could limit the capital returns that banks are allowed to do. And that may be dividend increases, share buybacks. I don't think they'd have to cut the dividend, but it, it's just something to, to kind of keep an eye on. I believe those results get come out in June.
0: Yeah, and it, it's something that, and I did a segment on KSI last week, uh, last Sunday, and it's just, sometimes mm-hmm. I think the government oversteps. I mean, they're making these harder and harder for, for businesses, and and you want them to make sure that you don't have these, you know, wild west banks or just doing mm-hmm. all kind of crazy things, <laughs> having the, the balance sheet filled with crypto or some like crazy thing like that. But on the other hand, too, like, you, you can't restrict them too much because then, like, well, who wants to run a bank because you can't make a profit on it? So I, I, I've i said this many, many times. I, I hate when the government goes too far because many of them have only worked in government their entire life. They have no idea what it's like to run a business, but yet you can try to control a business because of what you think based on no experience.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean, Jamie Dimon's a, you know, the CEO of J.P. Morgan, obviously, and He's very against the, the heavy regulation on the banks. I, I'd be willing to say he's for some regulation, but oh. I, I think over-regulation, he said it, it hurts the consumer at the end of the day. Yeah, And that's who the, the, the government's trying to protect, but they're actually hurting him. <laughs> it's just kind of a funny thing. And I, I wish they would actually listen to a guy like Jamie Dimon and, and Brian Moynihan, and the uh, CEO of Bank of America, like these guys, and, and, and uh, Charles Scharf from uh, Wells Fargo, and actually talk to them. But it, it just seems like there's this head right between government and business, and it's like, if you guys actually work together, there there might be some, some good resolutions.
0: You know, And I don't wanna get political, but I, I, I just wanna say when, when President Trump was in office, he did talk to the executives, and it made sense to me because these are your business leaders in the country. I don't understand why every president doesn't wanna to talk to the business leaders to find out, what can we do? I'd, rather than government working against the businesses, what can we do to work together? Because if we work together, we could grow the country much better. As opposed to this fighting and, oh, we're going to penalize you for this and penalize for that. What can we do to help the businesses? And and again, I mean, it's just, unfortunately, most of your presidents, most of your administrations, they don't even talk to the businesses. And it's such a shame because they, they should be on how they can help the businesses. Yeah,
1: so. well, side tan- tangent there, but I, <laughs> I think uh, CFG, it, it, I, I wouldn't be concerned about the dividend there, Jim. I, I know that's something that, that you always ask about, so it's... Um, I like the business. Obviously, we always got to recommend further research there. Is it a little more concentrated in particular areas. Also, we want to understand their loan portfolio. I do see automobile loans is uh, one of the areas that they derive a lot of net interest income from. Uh, So, we kind of want to understand that a little bit more because I I know autos have had some concerns around them uh, given the the current uh, interest rate environment.
0: Yeah, and and Jim kind of asked, you know, should he add to it?
1: it depends on the research yeah the research You got you got more re- research to do
0: because based on the numbers it's like yes you should but there could be other things there you gotta understand before you do you actually do that so all right uh jim i hope that helped out phone numbers here 833-288-0973 that's 833-288-0973 let's well, to talk to our financial planner harrison johnson good morning harrison how are you doing this morning
2: Good morning, guys. How you doing?
0: Good, good. I I like the topic today because I was wondering this. I've heard different stories. When to file your taxes? Do you do early? Do extensions? What do you got here for us?
2: Well, I wanted to have kind of a public service announcement here, but um, we'll go into it. So, ten ninety nine R's get sent out usually in January. Um, A lot of people have started to get their W twos now. Um, the 1099s for dividends, capital gains, and interest usually get sent out in February. You no know Schwab is doing theirs on the 17th of this month, I think, so that'll be soon. Um, tax day this year is Tuesday, April 18th. Um, that's when the actual taxes are due. If you file an extension, you can you know wait to file for another six months, but no matter whether you have an extension or not, uh, taxes are still due on the 18th. Um, So a lot of people now have everything they need to to file, and many more will have that in the coming days. Um, But the public service announcement I want to put out there is a few days ago, the IRS came out and said to hold off on filing your taxes. And the reason is a lot of states last year, including California, issued stimulus checks to residents. Um, In California, it was called the middle class tax refund. It was somewhere between two hundred dollars and a little over a thousand dollars and technically this was a state tax credit that was issued toward the end of 2022 some got them at the beginning of 2023 but the irs came out and said they have not determined yet whether or not they will be taxing these checks federally so it was tax-free on the state side, but it, it might end up becoming taxable on the federal side. So it might be best to wait a little bit to file until we get more guidance from the IRS on if or how that should be reported. Um, in the meantime, you know, take a look at your income. If you've got your W-2s and your 1099s and everything, see if you got any time for IRA, Roth IRA, backdoor Roth IRA, HSA contributions, all those can be done still up until the tax filing date. Um, or if you've made contributions for 2022 that are not allowed because your income was too high, so the contributions maybe either aren't allowed or, or not deductible, um, if you withdraw those before the tax filing date, then you won't have any um, over, over-contribution penalties or anything like that.
1: Yeah, I, I think it is kind of funny, I think the IRS is giving themselves more work here than <laughs> they need to, and they're going to wait, and then they're going to get this huge rush of tax filing, and then they're <laughs> going to be behind, it's uh. Well, the,
2: the problem is, you know, the IRS just came out a few days ago and said, okay, everybody, um, you know, hold on until you file, but the IRS has known that states have been doing this for like a year now, and so they waited an entire year. <laughs> Figure out how this should be handled tax-wise. It just doesn't make any sense at all. So, <laughs> well,
1: I think um, what happened- they
2: said that if you've already filed, to not file an amendment yet. But those who haven't filed and got that uh, refund or that that tax credit, to hold on to, to see what
1: how that should be filed. I think what happened is the government said, "Oh crap, we're spending way too much money. We need some more <laughs> revenue." <laughs> and, and, and-, and yeah,
2: I mean. The, there's definitely more revenue that they could get from it. But I mean, relatively speaking, no, nothing. Um, there was, there was a good amount of money that went out, but even if they do tax it, I mean, it's not really going to make a that much of a difference federally. If, if, if it ends up becoming taxable because it was the, to get it, you had to have certain income requirements, which means you're usually at the mid to lower brackets anyway. So if it does become taxed. It's not going to be taxed at a super high rate, but I mean, it's just, just another example of um, you know well, not, I, government not doing things on time.
1: Well, I think it's funny <laughs> because I, you know I, I thought this administration—I had to get political—but I, I didn't think they were going to go out for the small guys. And this ah. is exactly, yeah, exactly what they're doing. Is, I know. But,
0: that's that's And that's politics. I know. It's, I it's know. not the Democrats, Republicans, it's just kind of politics in general, that they just say one thing and then they go after the little guy, unfortunately. Harrison, uh, and I don't know if you have these numbers. I kind of catch you off cold here. But I have heard that it's better to file extensions and file in October as opposed to do it now. I always do mine early cause I like to see what the results are, good or bad. Have you ever seen any numbers on that at all?
2: Um. I mean, again, whether you file on ap- in April or you wait until October, um, the taxes are still due in April. Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure all the, the money is actually paid by that point. Um, I know a couple years ago there were some people that wanted to wait to file because some of these um, rebates that were going out were based on your AGI and they were using the most recent return that you had. So if you filed a, a recent return that had an IR higher AGI that would disqualify you. So if you waited to file and then used your previous years, maybe that AGI was lower. So there's stuff like that. Um, Usually what happens is people that file extensions just, you know, maybe their tax situation is complicated and they want more time to do it. Um, But again, it's not like you can put off actually paying the taxes until October. So everything has to be paid, and then you can just kind of play around with the filing of it.
0: Yeah, and it just had somebody said that the odds of getting audited are less in October because there's so many returns they have by that time frame versus when you file early in like March or on time in April, there's not as many returns so they can pull your tax return. And, and it makes sense to me, but I don't know if there's any numbers out there to back it up, but uh, just kind of curious.
2: You know, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean that in general, there's not a lot of people that get audited anyway. Um, audits have been going down pretty much for decades at this point, but you know, that's a good question, Brent. I'm not sure um, how that's the case. I know, you know, generally speaking, business owners are usually the ones that file extensions because they've got more complicated tax situations with, you know, making sure that their books are all good and they've got all the deductions that they can. Is there different ways to structure depreciation and things like that? So, um, And then sometimes throughout the year, the IRS will issue guidance on certain things like this tax refund deal. Um, And so a lot of people like to Kind of have that extra time to to do planning and, and think about ways to file. But it, it's, to your point, I'm not sure um, whether that has an influence on your chances of getting audited or not. That would be that would be kind of interesting to know.
0: And I don't know if there's even numbers out there that would prove that. But yeah, just just something interesting. Well, well, Harrison, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Uh, have a great uh, weekend. We'll see you Monday morning. All right, thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. Okay, bye bye. Again, as Harrison Johnson, our, our CFP, our financial planner, he's on a salary. He doesn't sell annuities or life insurance. He really does a true financial plan to really listen to you, to what you need, how we can make that happen. Uh, get a free consultation. Uh, give him a call at the office, 858 546 4306. Again, that's 858 546 4306. Or you can go to the website and just send him a message to the website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. All right, phone numbers here eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go back to our emails here. We got an email from Jeff. He says, I've been looking for a San Diego stock to invest in. I was wondering if you hit a low on the radio show. You guys, could you give me a take on Jack in the Box, symbol J-A-C-K, and researching the stock, it seems if they also own Del Taco, which I didn't know. And I don't know if they'll find that today or not. And I don't think it's Del Taco. I thought it was a different...
1: They had Codobo, Codobo. but I believe they also bought Del Taco. They did buy Del Taco. Somebody bought Del Taco.
0: Could have been Jack in the Box. Yeah. So, Well, uh, let me go over the numbers here for you, Jeff, and kind of look at it. And funny story, I mean, when I came out to San Diego, I worked for Jack in the Box uh, in the corporate offices, then called Foodmaker. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of a funny to kind of look at it now and and see how far they've come from when I worked for them. Back in the, gosh, that was back in 1983. I, I worked at uh, the corporate office of Jack in the So let's see the numbers at uh, Jack in the Box restaurants. Uh, symbol uh, is J-A-C-K. Uh, wow, 9.6% uh, short. That's that's higher than average. It's not terrible, but it's higher than average. Uh, we do see that their P.E. ratio, 14.3 versus 36.3. That's good. Price of sales, 1.1 versus 2.9. That's a positive. What's not looking good is there's no price to book value. Uh, the university does have a price to book value of 27. So it tells me that their liabilities exceed their assets, and you don't have any value there, which could be a danger zone. Could be other things, but you've got to look a little bit deeper. But off the surface, could be a problem. Look at price of cash flow, 10.2 versus 20.6. That is good. Uh, the peg ratio, 3.1 versus 3.4. So that's okay. Now, we do see over the last year, earnings for Jack in the Box fell by 22.3% when the industry is up 25.5%. So you would want to find out what happened there. There could be a couple things. The previous year, earnings could have been higher because of something else they did. Perhaps they had some write-offs, but you really want to know why did the earnings fall by 22% this year? We do see sales were up 27.7%. The industry was up 41.8%. They do have a five-year growth rate on jack-of-the-backs of only 4.5%. And I say that because the industry is at 20.6%. So the overall restaurants seem to be doing far better. Uh, they do pay a dividend, not a bad dividend, 2.3%. Use 32% of their earnings to pay that out. Uh, We also see that, uh, let's see, the balance sheet, oh, current ratio 0.5 versus 1.3, and no debt to equity, because remember there's no equity. So this is kind of frightening to me on the financial side. When you've got a current ratio of 0.5, tells me they can only pay off about six months of the current liabilities with the current assets. That could be a problem for the company. So, you got to dig deeper in those financial statements. But this is a, what I call a warning side before you invest in this company. Find out where they stand financially. We do see that uh, they have a net profit margin 7.9, same as the industry, return on equity a negative 15.7. Uh, that's that's bad, but the whole industry is a negative 102 That That sounds strange. So
1: I, I'm not liking what I'm seeing here. I'm getting some concerns. Chase, anything good going forward? Well, first of all, they, they did buy Del Taco and they completed that acquisition. It was $585 million. It's actually what they bought Del Taco for. And then actually, I didn't know this. I haven't looked at I don't think we've looked at Jack in the Box in years. They actually sold kodobo back in 2018 to Apollo oh, wow. Global Management. <clears throat> wow. So, and no longer part of Jack in the Box. So it sounds like maybe they, they want a new taco company <laughs> they, they,
0: they like in, in that mexican field i guess it, the mexican food side yeah, yeah i guess so although i think codobo was far better than del taco
1: i i don't know i've never had a codobo yeah i've never had it yeah. had Del taco my wife loves del taco i i always give her a hard time they like uh taco bell better and whatever <laughs> two high-class restaurants I, I you're know, going right? to <laughs> <laughs> right? i haven't been to either one in a while, but. I digress. Current (laughs) price here for Jack in the Box, $77.96. And I remember looking at this, I pulled up a long-term chart of Jack in the Box. And I remember looking at, I think last time was probably like 2015, 2016. The stock was around like 100, over 100. And in 2021, it went to like $125, $120 a share. So it's definitely pulled back from those highs again at $77.96. 52-week high, $95.44. And the low, $54.80. Surprised by this, the market cap for Jack in the Box $1.6 $1.6 billion. Hmm. I, I thought it would be a lot bigger. Yeah. So yeah. A little surprising well, there. It,
0: it was when the stock was 95, but now, it, uh, what you say, is 77. it's well,
1: But even that, I mean, it, yeah. it still wouldn't have a market cap of around $10 billion. I'm just kind of surprised by that. But going out to September 2024, I do see estimated earnings per share of $6.36. It does actually give us a a target sell price here of $105.58, so the valuation looks good. I see earnings are estimated to grow about 15.1%. It's a forward P.E. of around 12. So from the valuation standpoint, it, it looks I would say but the problem is again that balance sheet and one thing that I've just never understood is I I'm assuming jack-in-the-box has perhaps that franchise model so you're in theory what we call asset light right and that <clears throat> the balance sheets always look terrible with asset light companies
0: mm-hmm. and, and that's why I say you gotta go look at the financial statements because we can see one thing here and they were designed to try to point in the right direction and we say you gotta do more research because there could be other things in there and and they're a franchise company they used to own a lot of restaurants. Maybe they've been spinning those off for franchises, but uh, these are things you have to kind of look at the restaurant to see. Maybe they don't own any restaurant saying longer. Maybe they are truly asset light. I know they did own the corporate building on Balboa Avenue. Uh, I, I believe they're still there and stuff. But uh, I also did notice too that the uh, 90 days ago that the earnings going forward have actually fallen 15 and a half percent. So there's something going on there. And this could either be a buying opportunity or a warning sign. What worried me was a current ratio. Now that <clears throat> you know the debt can change and so forth, but the current ratio—that's pretty easy ratio to come up with. That worries me. I mean, that—that's not a lot of liquidity, and and you get uh, some type of crunch or something that could force a company into bankruptcy. And more companies have filed bankruptcy because of liquidity issues than debt issues many times. So something to be careful there. Uh, I think it's worth the research. I like it. Could be partly because of the fact that. You I, like
1: the fajita pita. The
0: fajita pita. I do like the <laughs> fajita pita. I can have two or three of those and not have many calories. So I, I do like those. Um, but I, I, I like the concept of the company. I like fast food restaurants. I think they're profitable. I just don't like what's going on with the liquidity. I mean, you got to understand that because yeah. it could be a warning. Sign. I
1: just pulled up McDonald's and their current ratio is like 1.7. So it is something that, that is kind of strange and definitely something that, as you said, is quite concerning.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because when I, when I look at the uh, industry average for the current ratio, it is 1.3. So, yeah. th- and that's why we compare, because we always say a number means nothing else unless you have something to compare it to. Well, a 0.5 current ratio versus a 1.3. That's a warning sign to
1: me. When well, all of a sudden they could <clears> be fine <throat> if their cash flow is still coming in, so you're you're still paying off those bills and you can maintain it. All of a sudden that cash flow chokes off. Yep. That's where the issue ensues. Yeah. Yep. So
0: uh, I was going to take a look at their cash flow statement. I looked over. Oh, we got a couple calls here. So let's see. Let's see who was here first. Uh let's go out or down to Chula Vista and speak with Michael. Michael, you're in the smart vegetable Brent Chase. How can we help you out?
2: Good morning. I'm calling about Cigna Corporation Symbol CI.
0: Okay. And do you hold that or look at them buying it?
2: I do hold it. I'm looking to buy a little more. It uh, dipped a little bit last week after their earnings release, so I just wanted to see if it was a good time to add to, to the portfolio.
0: Okay, we'll take a look at Cigna again. A similar CI. We do you see they're in the healthcare industry. Uh, float on the short, only .7, so not expected to drop it all there. Uh, we do you see you got a P ratio of 13.9. That's very good compared to the healthcare industry of 24.1. That's actually healthcare plans industry so a closer comparison there uh, price of sales 0. 0.5 versus 0. 0.7 price to book value 2 versus 3.3 uh, price of cash flow 8.6 versus 12.7 the pay ratio 1.1 versus 2.8 so all the valuation ratio is looking pretty good here now we do see they reported earnings and uh, over the past year their earnings are up 32.4% far better than the industry up 12.8 sales did increase by 3.3% not quite as good as the industry up yep. We see a five-year growth rate of 11.3, very close to the industry at 12.3. They pay a 1.7% dividend. Uh, They use about 21% They their earnings to pay that out. Uh, Again, a financial healthcare company. uh, No current ratio. Debt to equity 0.7, same as the industry. Net profit margin 3.7, that's above the industry at 3.2, and a very good uh, return on equity of 14.7. Not quite as good as the industry at. uh, 20.8, but I like a return on equity around 15%. Chase?
1: Current price here for Cigna, $296.51. The 50-week high, $340.11. So it it has pulled back from that high there. The low, though, $218.52. Unfortunately, year-to-date, down 10.5%. I go forward to December 2024, and I see very good earnings. Estimated to be $28.28 would give us a target sell price of $469.00 and 45 cents and that's an estimated growth of 14% over 2023 levels. I mean, that that is very nice earnings growth for uh, one of those sexy insurance companies, I guess <laughs> I'll say. So I, I, I like the numbers on Cigna. I, I think, uh, again, it's not anything that's going to knock your socks off in terms of how exciting their products are. But uh, again, it's one of those insurance companies we kind of talked about at the beginning of the show that I, I like their models. And also, too, they own a pharmacy benefit unit mm-hmm. as well. I mean, they're, they're a pretty diversified
0: company on, on top of what they do. And I, I do see also, too, that over the last nine days, the earnings are expected, they actually rose by 0.2% on the estimate. So a lot of times you see that dropping now. Eh, they're, they're about flat, but still good at, uh, what did you say, 28
1: $29? Uh, 28 dollars 28 is the estimated 28, earnings. Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. Uh, we like it. Uh, and I think you said you own a little bit. Think of adding to it. Uh, how much percentage-wise you hold in the portfolio there, Michael?
2: Uh, maybe just about 2 or 3%, so uh, I might bump that up a little bit.
0: Yeah. You can bring that up there, and uh, I, I think uh, down the road, and, and, and it could always pull back a little bit, but I think down the road, you know,
1: 2, 3, 4 years,
0: you'll be happy about Cigna.
1: And I, I believe they're increasing their dividend. They're, yeah. They buy back a good amount of stocks, so they're very shareholder-friendly. I, I think it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I like it. Yeah. All righty.
2: Thank you. You All guys right. have a great weekend. You
1: too, Michael. Thanks for calling.
0: Bye-bye. Bye. All right, that opens the phone line, 833- 288 0973. That's 833 288 0973. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Anthony. Anthony, you're on the Smart Vest Show Brent Chase. How can we help you?
2: Hey, good morning, guys. I wanted to see what you thought of uh, Tyson Food TSN. It took a little bit of a hit on earnings this week. I don't own it yet, but I was looking to buy. All
0: right, well, let's take a look at Tyson Foods. They're in the farm products industry. Only 2.3% short on the float, so n- not much there expected for it to go down more based on the analysts there. Uh, we do you see a P ratio 9 versus 10.2. That's good. Uh, price to sales, 0.4, same as the industry. Price to tangible book value, 7.5 versus 9.9. And price to cash flow, 10.8. That is below the industry at 19. And the PEG ratio going forward, very good, 1.9 for Tyson Foods well below the industry at 9.1. Now we did see the earnings per share fall by 33.6%. The industry's only down uh, 0.7. Sales actually climbed by 8.3%, not quite as good as the industry up 18.5. The five-year growth rate for uh, Tyson Food is 7.5% versus 5.2, a positive there. You you get a pretty good dividend, 3.2%, and they only used 27% of the earnings to pay that out. Look at the balance sheet. You got a current ratio 1.8 versus 2.0, debt to equity only 0.4 versus 0.7. So they're really keeping their balance sheet pretty strong at Tyson. Uh, net profit margin 4.5 versus 4.1, and return on equity 12.4. That is slightly under
1: the industry at 15.1. Chase. So, uh, current price here, for Tyson $60.39, the 52-week high is $99.54, and the low is $59.38. Uh, so right around that, that 52-week low there. Uh, going forward for Tyson, though, I go to September 2024, I do see estimated earnings per share of $5.47. We'll give you a target sell price of $90.80, and uh, obviously the valuations look very good on it. I know this company had a lot of headwinds in the yeah. last quarter. The uh, CEO talked about how pork, beef, and chicken all moved against them. Which, having that kind of diversified portfolio, most of the time mm-hmm. hedges that. Very unlikely that that happens.
0: And, and when you say moves against them, you mean that they went down in price, which yeah. is positive for inflation for the consumer. Which we and we look at stuff like that. Also, too, they have been fighting with the bird flu. Which actually, I found out that the bird flu affects the birds more on those laying eggs. Than for chicken, I think on uh, the Super Bowl, I think it's going to be like 1.8 billion wings served <laughs> this weekend or something crazy like that. But it, it, it's just, it's a good, solid business. They, they got some headwinds. I think the CEO said it as well. Uh, you get a nice dividend. I, I think it's a good company for the next two, three
1: years. This is the type of company you like to buy. When you listen to the conference call, they, they actually talked about how they were kind of wrong in placing meat in particular areas. Well, then what happens is they had to pay extra money to move that meat out of there or severely discount it that had a huge impact on earnings that's a very fixable problem all of a sudden you fix that problem that boosts your margin so uh, i think this is a, a company's short term again going to be quite volatile but but long term I, I think it's uh, very very intriguing
0: and, and anthony chase brings up a very important part and for you and all, all the listeners a fixable problem. That's what you're trying to find. Can the, they have a problem? Can they fix it in the next you know, 12, 18 months? Uh, we believe the answer, the answer to that question is yes. So that's that's what we like about Tyson Foods. So we're, we're going to say it's a bye. All righty?
2: All right. Thank you, guys.
0: All right. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, well, I was going to say it opens on the phone line, but we've only got a few minutes left. So one thing I do want, since we've got some time here, Chase, I'm sure you've seen, and I still call it Google, but Alphabet. Yeah. I mean, they are down dramatically. And I just think they're doing a good job. So I I want to take some time to actually look at their numbers to see what we see. Because maybe with all this big fall, maybe it's a buy on on the alphabet, uh, symbol G-O-O-G. They own the internet content and information business. We do see a P-E ratio of 20.8 versus 24.7. Price of sales, 4.4, same as the industry. Price to tangible book value, 5.4 5.4 versus 38.5 and then price of cash looks pretty good as well 13.6 versus 15.8 now they do have a good peg ratio sometimes on technology companies you don't see this the peg ratio going forward 1.3 versus 19.2 now they did experience a decline in their earnings uh, over the past year of 18.7 percent but the industry lost 30.2 percent and their earnings sales were up 9.8 uh, percent industry down 0.5 they have a five-year growth rate on their earnings of 15.5 versus 10.1. Uh, they do not pay a dividend. Maybe that can change in the future, but not yet. Uh, we do see on the balance sheet. Current ratio, 2.4, same as the industry. Debt to equity is only 0.1 versus 0.3. They have a net profit margin of 21.2 versus 17.3. And return on equity, 23.4 versus 22.3. Chase, what's it look like going forward?
1: Yeah, so I'm looking at G-O-O-G as the symbol I'm looking at. I know there's two different share classes, so I'm just going to go off of those numbers. But the current price for for that share of stock is $94.86, 52-week high is $144.16, and the low is $83.45. I see year-to-date stock's actually up 6.9%, so done okay there. But over the last one year, down 31.6%. When I go forward for the company, I go out to December 2024, I do see estimated earnings per share of $6.10. Actually, does give us a target sell price here of $101.26. So, uh, wouldn't be a buy necessarily, it'd be in our hold category, but this is the first time that I can remember one of these big tech companies has actually registered a target sell price higher than the current price for our, our metrics here. How, what was it? I was looking at something else. What was it? 101.26. Okay,
0: so, so still not a buy yet in the hold category. Uh, We need it for it to drop a little bit more, have the earnings go up. Uh, I did want to point out, too, I want to take a quick look at the uh, cash flow statement. And and this is a company that, if we can get it for the right price, we're very excited about it. Uh, Their cash flow per quarter is like $23 billion. I mean, now you go back to September 20, now I guess that was COVID. It was $17 billion. And I was going to look at their cash that they have uh, on hand here as well uh let's see their their cash balance 113.7 billion dollars in cash and again they generate 20 say 23 billion dollars a quarter in cash I, i mean i would love to buy this company i think they got great products they're getting beaten up for this New AI or whatever.
1: They've had a couple different. YouTube actually declined in terms of ad revenue, which was a a problem. They have a few pro and antitrust is another issue with their search monopoly. I mean, there's some government headwinds in terms of regulation. I I would love to see those headwinds pick up because that's what could pressure the stock more and you could get it on sale.
0: Yeah, I I I would probably say a good price to buy it would be. Just going to throw a number, 80, maybe 85? I
1: was going to say 70 would give us about that 30%.
0: And and I know you said YouTube numbers advertise or sell. And I don't
1: don't recall if they fell, but I remember they missed estimates and they were um, just not having the same type of growth that, you know, YouTube a couple years ago was like, oh my gosh, it's this huge growth engine and, and it's not that way anymore. And
0: we've talked about that. As those numbers get bigger, you're not going to have those magnificent growth of 20%, 30 40% because the numbers are bigger. It's harder to grow those numbers at those, those
1: rates. And Google's also in the cloud. <clears throat> Don't forget about the cloud.
0: Yeah, well, that's right. That's so
1: right. are still growing there, but, again, not at the same rates that they were. Growth is decelerating, which the market does not like to see, and that's why the valuations and the multiples are contracting on these companies.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's, one, well, it's one that we would like to buy, but just not yet. <laughs> Well, this is the closing bell. Thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs or have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Welsey or Chase Wellesley at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And be sure to visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And remember to sign up for the newsletter there. It's a great newsletter. You're going to love it. Right there at smartinvesting2000.com. Well, have a great day. We'll talk more next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. So amusing
2: to think that I did all that. And may I say.